0: anybody that's on your team whatever the level could be the janitor or it could be the vice president of technology everyone counts everybody's job is important and if you all do your job well then the results will come
1: Welcome to the next episode of What's Next with Eric Wood. Our next guest is the former CEO, chairman, and co-founder of Yum! Brands, David Novak. Yum! Brands is the company that has KFC, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut. When David was in charge, when he was the CEO, they were doing $13 billion annually in revenue and opening up six new restaurants a day globally. Now, David... Started a company called Ogo Lead, which teaches heartwiring and hardwiring leadership skills through an online leadership development program, podcasts, blogs, and videos. David was recognized by Chief Executive Magazine as 2012 CEO of the Year, one of the world's 30 best CEOs by Barron's, one of the top people in business by Fortune, and one of the 100 best performing CEOs in the world by Harvard Business Review. He's also the author of New York Times bestseller, Taking People With You. David gives incredible insights through this podcast that'll help people in transition in their lives through leadership skills, relationship with your wife and kids. It's incredible stuff. I learned so much through my time with David, and I know you will as well. Enjoy. David, thank you very much for your time this morning. It's an honor to have you on the show. Uh, Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you very much, Eric. It's an honor to be asked.
1: Let's start off talking about your childhood. Uh, it's a remarkable story, moving all over the country with your with your father and your family through his job. And a lot of people would have made it excu- an excuse about this. And with your perspective, you you, you talk about all the benefits of it.
0: Yeah. Well, my dad was a government surveyor, so uh, we moved every three months. The biggest house I ever lived in was eight feet wide by forty feet long. It was a trailer. And we would hook up our government truck uh, every three months and drive to the next trailer park with a group of surveying families. So I always took my neighborhood with me. I always, when I played Little League Baseball, Eric, you know, we'd have 20 families, 15 to 20 families out there watching me play baseball. So I always felt a, a lot of support. But my mom would check me into the schools and she'd say, David, you better make some friends because we're leaving because we would be leaving in three months. And uh, so it really taught me how to kind of go into situations where you always have anxiety, where you're in new situations, kind of look around, figure out who the people would be that I would want to hang with, who I'd want to stay with, and it taught me how to make friends early. And, you know, one of the things in business that people always said I had a really good skill on was the ability to size up people very quickly and my gut instincts. And I, I think that upbringing, moving a lot, going into new situations working through those anxieties uh really helped me a lot
1: that makes a lot of sense and and I see that with guys and their kids in the NFL because a lot of times they'll live in for say Buffalo for 6 months a year and then their kids will live in their hometown 6 months a year 6 months a year and they will adapt really well and they said socially it's really good for them curriculum wise sometimes it's tough they're learning one thing in one place and one thing in the other but as we know socially that can advance you so much further.
0: You know, I always felt like I was one good friend away from having a good time. And I think that's kind of how life is. You know, if you have a good friend, uh, you know, things aren't too bad, you know, but when you don't have that person that gives you the support you need as a friend, you know, you're lonely. So, you know, as soon as I made that friend, you know, it didn't matter if I was in a new place or, 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 not. And, you know, I, I think moving around is a tremendous advantage. I didn't know, uh, what I was missing, you know, people looked at my background and said, oh, you grew up in a trailer, you moved all the time. You know, I thought everybody did it, right? You know, it, you know, it's like, I was very, very happy. The The biggest break I got in my life was my mom and dad. They loved me. They supported me. They, they gave me everything. And I think obviously along with that, I was born in the United States of America, right. which allows you to, to, you know, to rise up and really achieve the American dream, which is what my parents wanted for me.
1: Absolutely. You graduate from the University of Missouri with a journalism degree and a minor in marketing. Right. What leads you then to Yum! Brands and, and eventually be the CEO?
0: Yeah, well, I was very fortunate. I went to the University of Missouri, which has a great journalism school. But there, I, I majored in you know, advertising, and I found my true love. I really love marketing and advertising. And, you know, that was my, you know, that was something that really, really got me pumped up because, you know, I have never felt like I ever worked a day in my life. Because I've always done since, uh, you know, focusing on marketing and advertising and then later on in the overall general business, I've always done what what I loved. But my first job was as an advertising copywriter in Washington, D.C. Uh, I had this little cubicle in the back of the office and behind it was a hamburger and my mom, uh, my my wife said that was a sign uh, of the fact that I was going to ultimately end up in food service. But I really found writing to be a very powerful thing to do because there's nothing more sobering than looking at a blank sheet of paper and knowing that you have to come up with the idea. You have to understand who you're marketing to, come up with the idea, write it, and then sell it. And, you know, that really taught me a, a great discipline. But I quickly learned that, you know, I didn't want to be a writer because I looked who had the real power in the advertising agency. And it was the the owner who was an account person who dealt with the clients directly. So then I decided to get into account work. So I, I... you know, went to uh, uh, Pittsburgh. I sent out 25 resumes to the top 25 advertising agencies in the country. And the first one to respond was at Ketchum, McLeod, and Grove in Pittsburgh, where I became a big Steelers fan, by the way. Oh, it, man. You know, I hate to tell you that. But, it's all good. But, it, but anyway, uh, I went there as an account executive, worked on Rockwell Power Tools. And then I uh, also worked on Heinz 57 Sauce. But, you know, if you're in the agency business, you kind of feel like you have to go to New York to really make it. So I decided that I needed to go to New York to really, you know, if I can make it in New York, you can make it anywhere. And I wanted to get sophisticated packaged goods training. Uh, So, again, I sent out my resumes and I went up there and got, you know, some job offers. But, you know, Eric, when I was in New York, I guess this is from my upbringing, I just didn't feel right. I grew up in the Midwest and all these little small towns. I'm probably the only guy you know who lived in Dodge City, Kansas, twice, but you know I did. That's but a fact. I, but I, but I really, literally, you know, uh, didn't feel good, and it was, it, I, I just didn't belong in New York. I just didn't feel like I fit in, and it's about that time I get this uh, uh, offer to go down to Dallas and to become the account executive for Tostitos, which was a free lay brand, and uh, you know, so I go down there, get the job offer. And I, I got on the Free to Lay account and worked my way up, became the head of that account, and I knew all the people at Free to Lay, which was a part of PepsiCo. And so one day, the head of uh, Free to Lay calls me up and says, David, how would you like to run marketing for pizza, which was also a part of PepsiCo? And I, I would always thought I'd run. The, the advertising agency and stay in the agency business. But I said, boy, that sounds really intriguing. So I go to Wichita, Kansas, where Pizza was located at that point in time, meet with Steve Reinemann, who later became the chairman of PepsiCo. We have breakfast, and he literally offers me the job pretty much on the spot. And uh, so I, that's when I moved from the agency side to the client side. And we had tremendous uh, success in four years. And then I got promoted to run marketing and sales at, at Pepsi. And then I realized that for me to become a president of a PepsiCo division, which was my, my goal, I had to get into operations. So I begged for the chief operating officer role at Pepsi, even though I didn't know anything about operations, got that opportunity. And then that led to my promotion to KFC. And one of the fortuitous things in my life was is that I got offered the opportunity to go be the CEO of Frito-Lay, and I turned it down. Wow. And the reason was because I love the food service business. And I told Roger Enrico, who was the the CEO of PepsiCo at the time, I said, look, if you want, I'll take on more responsibility in the restaurant business. But I don't want to leave Louisville and I don't want to leave the restaurant business. So he gave me Pizza Hut. And little did I know at that point in time, I was running KFC and Pizza Hut. I didn't know that PepsiCo had been planning to spin off the restaurants and beca- and make them an independent public company. So you know, by turning down that CEO job, I ended up at running Pizza Hut and KFC. And we, the other brand we had was Taco Bell. I was running two of the three. And then I was in perfect position to end up uh, running uh, Yum! Brands. So, you know, that's how I got there. Sorry for the long story. No, but, uh, that's perfect.
1: Yeah. And, and, that, and that's the beauty of a podcast. You can tell a long story like that yeah. and, and and really show your journey through there. And and for people in a job right now where you're looking to get promoted or, or whatever it may be, if you're second team on a depth chart, you know, what advice would you give them? When I, when I heard you right there, it said, I begged for this job. I went for this. I, I analyzed this. What advice would you give?
0: Yeah, well, I, I always said the first thing you've got to do is you've got to do your job really well. If you do your job really well, then you have the right. To, to, you know, to, to, to expect more and to, to ask for more. But in my situation, Eric, I always did my job, and then I looked around and said, who has the next job? And then I'd ask, what does that person have that I don't have? And if they had something that I need to develop, I went out and I developed it. If, if, but I, I didn't see anybody ever in it ever my career that I didn't think that I could ultimately do their job if I got myself prepared for it. So I, I have to admit, I was very competitive, very ambitious, but I, I had a high belief that if I got, had the right skills, I could do that next job. And so basically what I did throughout my career, Eric, is I just looked at who has the next job. Why do they have the next job? What do I have to do to get it? And, you know, I, I wrote a book called The Education of Accidental CEO. I never thought I was going to be a CEO, but I just kind of one job led to the other. And the next thing I know, I end up running a, a, a fantastic company like Young Brands.
1: That's absolutely incredible. Yum Brand saw incredible growth with you as CEO, opening six new restaurants a day. And, and at one time, you had around 1.5 million employees you were in charge of. And, and, and one of your big passions is leadership. What's your top leadership quality you look for in a person of influence?
0: You know, well, I think a leader has to care as much about the people that work for them as they do about themselves. You know, they, they, you know, people want to know that you're committed to them. You know, once they know you're committed to to them, they'll follow you to the moon, assuming you have the, you know, the right capabilities and the know-how you need to do your job well. And so for me, you know, I I really love building a team. And the only people I had on my team were the people I could get committed to and invest in. And if I couldn't get to that point, I would have them work somewhere else or go to another, another company. Boy, but if you were on my team, I was totally committed to you and your development and getting your input. You know, there's a law in leadership, which I really believe in, is no involvement, no commitment. And I really think that what you have to do to get the best out of your people is, is tell them everything you know about whatever subject it is in your business and, and then ask them, what would you do? Get them involved. And I have to tell you, once you do that, you know, people feel a part of something and then they'll know that they can contribute. And I also think that anybody that's on your team, whatever the level, it could be the janitor or it could be the vice president of technology. Everyone counts. Mm. Everybody's job is important. And if you all do your job well, then the results will come.
1: I absolutely love that. You know. When, when I was preparing for this podcast I knew we'd get on a topic of leadership so I wanted to uh, personally think about some of the coaches that I played for leaders that I've been around things I love authenticity you know I like people to practice what they preach and, and all yours are perfect as well. I like consistency I want I want a leader someone who I'm following to be consistent on a day-to-day basis in, in relating it to an NFL facility when a coach gets up in the room, He's got a lot of stuff going on in his life. But I don't necessarily want to see that when he's addressing our team. And, and that's partially shallow of me to say, but I've seen it. And these guys get moody and it, it sways the mood of a team. And I think it can be extremely detrimental. And, and I like a positive leader and not a fake positive leader. I want someone that is grateful to be in the position that they're in, that looks at the world with gratitude which then creates positivity within them. It's not this wake up and, you know, act like everything's sunshine and rainbows positivity because, you know, especially through an NFL season, it's never going to be perfect. There's only been uh, one perfect regular season since since I've been alive and the Patriots end up losing in the Super Bowl. So, you know, I, I love those characteristics. Another thing I've read you speak on or talk about, speak on, is recognition. Yeah. Talk uh, about
0: recognition for a second. I'll do that, but I want to make a point about what you just said, you know, is that I think the best leaders I know see leadership as a privilege. Yes. You know, leadership is a privilege and I, I call it the privilege of leadership And, you know, so you you have a, a sense of gratitude for having the job. And, you know, for whatever reason, you've been blessed by God to be able to have the skills to take on this responsibility. And so you're grateful for that. Right. And so I always try to get up every day. And I do my gratitudes. I read a devotional. So I, I literally want to uh, get myself in into a grateful state because there's this concept called a mood elevator. You make your best decisions when you're at the highest point of the mood elevator, which is gratitude. You make your worst decisions when you're angry and, and revengeful. So I always try to work my way up that uh, that mood elevator so I could go to work with the mindset that leadership is definitely a privilege and I'm grateful for what I have. And, and one of the big things that I did that I, I love so much that was, really was the key to my career is I recognized people who were really getting it done. There's nothing like earned recognition to motivate people and to power people to inspire more. And so I, I really focused on, on, you know, recognizing the people who are getting it done and doing it in fun ways. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll yeah, tell I was going to say, can you give yeah. an example well, of a fun way? You know, for example, uh, when I was at KFC, I gave away a rubber chicken, you know, and I would, I would give away this rubber chicken. I would, uh, you know, uh, number each one to whoever I gave it to. I'd, I'd write it like, dear Eric, you're the best original recipe cook I've seen. Quality is the most important thing we do. Thank you for your 17 years of dedication at KFC. And then I would sign it and I'd say, you know what, I want to take a picture with you, Eric, you know, because what you do really matters. I'm going to send you this picture. You could throw it to trash if you want, but I'm going to take this picture and I'm going to put it in my office because what you do is what makes our business tick. And I want to fill my office with people, people like you. And you know what? It was so powerful. And, you know, when I went to KFC, the morale was down. People weren't working together. The franchisees hated the company. The company hated the franchisees. And the recognition that I did really showed people that things were going to be different. We were going to create a different culture. We were going to trust in each other. And we had a lot of fun doing it. And then I got promoted to run pizza, as I talked about a little bit earlier. So there I came up with the Green Bay Packer Cheesehead. And I would number them. You know, uh, you know, write down on the top of the cheese head what they did. Put the cheese head on with people. We had all kinds of fun. Then I got promoted to be the head of, of Yum! Brands. I gave away these walk-the-talk teeth. But the important thing, Eric, was it wasn't just me doing the recognition it was everybody started doing that recognition. Everybody came up with their personal recognition awards. It became absolutely something that everybody did. It was the hallmark of our our culture. And the fun thing is, is people said, David, what happens when you run out of wall space in your office? You know, and I said, well, you know, I'm going to put it, put them on the ceiling. So if you go into my office, Eric, you will see pictures on the ceiling of people I've recognized all around the world. And it worked everywhere. People said, hey, David, you, you know, you can't recognize people in China. They take this very serious. You're, the, you're brother number one, the big leader. Well, I gave away one of my Walk the Talk Yum Awards to this restaurant manager in, in China. And, you know, Shirley Kunamoto went over there to, to see her. And she was in a restaurant. She said, hey, I understand. And Shirley ran our operations support services group. She says, I understand David Novak gave you a, a, a Yum Award. And she she said, yes, he he did. She said, can I see it? And she said, no. And she said, what do you mean I can't see it? She says, it's at home, locked up, in my father's safe. Wow. And so recognition, you know, works everywhere. Works in India, England, you know, uh, Louisville, Kentucky. You pick the spot because people have a universal desire to be recognized for what they do and recognition says you're watching as a leader. It says, Hey, I'm watching what you did. You know, I really appreciate what you did. Thank you. And thank you. I think is the most powerful set of words in, in, in the English dictionary.
1: There, there are a ton of great nuggets in in what you just said, uh, relating it to football We would get game balls after wins. Not everybody, but but key players in the wins. And I'm not saying I ever prepared extra hard or tried in a different way during the heat of battle to say, hey, tomorrow I could get a game ball if I do this. But the thought, the feeling I got when I would get a game ball in our meetings on Monday, the feeling that you would get that recognition, it might propel your preparation for the next game. And guys that had never gotten a game ball before – they would say, oh, shoot, I want, to, I want this feeling again. How do I get back there? Okay, that was, I had my best week of practice, so I'm going to go out and practice my best week again. I'm going to prepare. I'm going to watch more film, and that recognition can propel an industry, it can propel a team. And to this day, I probably have 10 or 12 game balls. They're all in my office, every single one of them. Yeah, that's and,
0: great. I bet that's a cool office. You know? but I think earned recognition is the key, and people right. need to know how you got it. You know, it's like, you know, when you were getting those game balls, you knew what it was going to take to get, get that game ball. You're going to have to have stellar performance. You know, you're going to have to, you know, really help the team win to get the get the game ball, you know. So to me, I think recognition needs to be very, very purposeful. And I think the best thing you can do as a leader is to define what are those behaviors on your team that's going to drive performance. So let's say you you're you run an accounting firm. Well, you want to have people that, you know, Really know their, their, their accounting procedures. You want to have people who are able to collaborate. You want to have people who can work well with clients. Let's say those are your three behaviors. If you're a leader, then you look out for those three behaviors. And every time you see it, you recognize it. Yes. And don't wait for the annual meeting to do it. Do it in a spontaneous way. You know, like, Eric, you just collaborated. You just worked with that client. You made it happen. You know, I really appreciate what you're doing. What you do really makes our business tick. And if you you know say you, you if you're an accountant maybe you could give away a ledger that was kind of funny but you can have fun doing it and people really appreciate it and they'll keep their version of the game ball people I guarantee you people keep the game ball I'll tell you a really amazing story I gave a rubber chicken to one of the guys in engineering at KFC when he died I went to his funeral uh, uh, memorial service and in his casket okay. He had his rubber chicken. Wow. He took his rubber chicken to the grave with him. But you know, that may some people laugh when they hear that. No, it's not funny. No, the, I'm I'm is, amazed. You this know. is like this is like you know, this this is the kind of stuff that really, really resonates with people and it because it makes people know that they matter.
1: Yep. And life's about impacting people in a positive yeah. way. That that's what gives fulfillment in life. Yeah. And by you doing that, that truly shows the impact of giving out those awards, giving recognition that someone literally takes it to the grave with them. That's absolutely phenomenal. Backing up for a second to your time at Frito-Lay, um, I'm thankful for this, David. You invented the Cool Ranch Dorito. <laughs> tell, tell the story about how that came about. I think it's a really great uh, piece, on, uh, piece on marketing.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I really admire about you, Eric, is you're an avid learner. I mean, you like to go wherever you can to get ideas and to think about it. It's really one of the reasons why you started this podcast. And after you retired, you came to visit with me and mm-hmm. asked me whatever advice I could offer. But I, I really got to know you, and it was great. Well one of the things that, that I, I really believed in business is that you can really increase your uh, IQ points by seeking know-how wherever it might have some relevance. So I knew that Frito-Lay was really in need of a, a major new product. And so I said, "Team, we've got to go figure out how to come up with a new flavor." But I said, "We're going to go to the grocery store, and we're not going to the snack aisle, okay? We're going to go to the different aisles and see what flavors and things are really growing." Well, we went to the salad dressing aisle, and the, and the most popular flavor that emerged and was doing fantastically well was ranch flavored uh, uh, ranch flavored dressing. And I said, "I said, man." why don't we take that ranch-flavored dressing and put it on a Doritos and see what it tastes like? So I called up Dennis Hurd at, at, at our R&D, ad, went down, and we talked about it. And, and you know, he, he put that uh, ranch flavor on, on uh, Doritos. And, and then I said, you know, we need to come up with a great name. I said, now our nacho cheese Doritos was really great. And I called it putting a unique image on a known quantity. Cheese is what everybody knows, but nacho made it unique. So I said, we're going to have to put a unique image on ranch. So we said, let's call it Cool Ranch Doritos. And Cool Ranch Doritos became an absolute smash hit. It's one of my favorite products to this day. It still is. You know, you can't eat just one, I can tell you that for sure. Yes, sir. But we would have never gotten that that idea if we would have just stayed inside our lane. We went out to seek knowledge. I did the same thing in the pizza business with uh, Pizza Hut. When we developed the, the meat lovers and cheese lovers and pepperoni lovers and veggie lovers uh, line of pizza, you know, we went to California Pizza Kitchen where they have all kinds of variety. And we came up with, you know, something that would work for Pizza Hut. And to this day, the lovers line of pizza is the biggest uh, selling line uh, in Pizza Hut's uh, uh, repertoire.
1: Were you on the invention of the stuffed
0: crust pizza? You know, that preceded that, that came after me. But the one thing that I, I really loved about that was, you know, the, the fact that you really think outside the box and put right. the cheese inside the crust. And there I, you, you really learned the power of marketing because they put that into test market and did nothing, did not, didn't grow at all. Wow. But then they got, believe it or not, Donald Trump and Ivana and they got in a little argument about, you know, how to eat the pizza, frontwards or backwards, okay? You eat it backwards now because of the stuffed crust. And we got other celebrities to do this, and it, and, and it ended up uh, growing sales over 20%. But I feel like, you know, creating a culture of where you have that kind of mindset, that didn't leave when I left Pizza Hut. I was so proud of the people who developed that product because they 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 knew how to – get sa- outside of the, the their lane, look for new ideas, and make it happen.
1: The people you got to do marketing with you fascinates me, that you had Donald and Ivanka Trump, Donald Trump, the current president, he was doing Pizza Hut ads, and you had Jeff Bezos, who runs Amazon, doing a Taco Bell quesadilla ad. I mean, yeah, that's but, remarkable that you get these individuals to do marketing for you, and then how they end up. To, yeah. you know what they're doing years later yeah
0: this is jeff bezos you know we basically did a commercial with him and he, he didn't take any of the the proceeds for himself he gave it away to charity he's a super guy but it was basically him sitting around the table talking to five technology people about the hottest new handheld on the market and that hot new handheld was uh, taco bell's uh, quesadilla and our sales went through the roof you know, once we did that that ad. And this was before he was really famous.
1: Right. it, it would, I understand he gave it all to charity, but yeah. it would cost a whole lot more to get him to do that now. <laughs> yeah. I guarantee you that. Yeah. Yeah. Switching gears a little bit, when you transitioned out of your role at Yum and you left a job where you were in charge of so many people, what was that transition like and what would you give – what, what advice would you give to others in a situation where you're transitioning out of a, a dream job, a, a position of influence? You know, I'm comparing it to a person who works their entire life to be an NFL football player or someone that's you know, really just mastered their craft for a number of years but it's time to move on. What advice would you give for that transition?
0: I think the biggest thing you need to do is know yourself. and If you know yourself, you can grow yourself. So really have a high self-awareness of what you really love to do. What really is your passion? And, you know, I think if you end up focusing on what you love to do, even though you're shifting gears, you know, for me, my passion was leadership and recognition. So I developed a company called Ogo Lead so that I could focus on the power of of making the world a better place by developing better leaders and also doing digital leadership training programs where I could teach people how to engage, elevate, and equip others for success on their teams. You know, how to work with their teams, do purposeful recognition. But this is in what I love. Mm-hmm. You know, Warren Buffett told me once that he never worked a day in his life. He tap danced to work. Wow. And you know what? I I've been doing the same thing as I've never worked a day in my life. It's all my hobby because I've focused on what I love. You know, you put me in a situation where I don't enjoy it, I'm not really that good. You know, but you put me in a situation where I love doing it, I'll get good. Right. And, you know, I've never seen people, you know, that didn't like what they do be very good at it. Yeah, and and what
1: I loved about what you said on leadership, recognition, what you're doing through OGO Lead, is it's all others-oriented. Nothing – Nothing did you say was about me. It wasn't, I'm going to try and do this. It's, how can I influence others? And and I truly appreciate that about you. And um, I've I've admired that about you since I I first met you.
0: Well, you know, I I wish I could, I appreciate you saying that. I wish I could say I didn't enjoy having it come back to me, but I do. Well, that's what happens. You get more fulfillment from it. It really does. And, you know, it's just the way it works. You know, that old saying, the more you give, the more you receive, it's absolutely true. It's come back to me in spades. So whatever I've given to others has certainly come back.
1: This is a natural transition to talk about OGO Lead, and you talk about hardwiring and heartwiring leaders.
0: Right. Can you explain that concept? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, to be really uh, amazingly successful or just to be successful, you have to be, you have to show people you have a heart. That you care about them, you're committed to to to, to what people do, and that you're you're going to give them everything you got to help them be successful. That's really getting hardwired. Hardwired is when you put process and discipline around what really matters, so that you can be successful. You know, when I started uh, Young Brands, we went out and visited the top performing companies. Uh, in the united states at that point in time and they all had process and discipline around what really matters i'm sure you had that in football right you know you had you put the disciplines in place you know i talked to tom brady's a good buddy of mine and and you know i mean he's he has more process and discipline around what really matters than anybody i've ever met
1: he's got a book about it the tb12 method and
0: but i'll tell you what if you go to walmart you're going to see what their processes are. You go to Southwest Airlines, you're going to see what they do that makes them special. You go to Amazon, Apple, Facebook now, they've got process and discipline around what matters. And then they make mistakes and they figure out, okay, I better put some process and discipline around this so it's not going to happen again. But that makes you hardwired. Uh, hardwired. So if you can have, be both hardwired and hardwired, you're a complete leader. If you just make people feel good, but you don't put the processes in place so you can truly execute on a consistent basis, which you talked about consistency. You said that was one of your leadership Mm -hmm. characteristics. Well, the great leaders put process and discipline around what really matters so you can get consistent execution. And if you're heartwired, going back to what you just said, you're authentic because people will not follow a phony. If they don't see you as genuine, they're not going to follow you. Absolutely. So you know, being authentic is you know we talk about the importance. I I talk about how you know I gave away floppy chickens, but that's what I did. That was part of who I was. I was comfortable doing that, and I think that helped drive my my authenticity. The other thing about heartwiring, which you've mentioned, is a key leadership trait. Is you really need to bring positive energy to the play. Mm-hmm. You know, positive energy lifts people up. Negative energy brings people down. And you know, I think. That, that gets people engaged and, and you know, elevates them and, and, and gets people in that, that mindset, hey, that we can do this.
1: Yeah. One of – the first time we've spent significant time together, we were on a golf course in Louisville, Kentucky. We were playing Valhalla, and we were on hole number two, and you asked me what I missed most about playing, and I said I missed my role within the team. I missed being a leader. I, I had built – a platform there where I could influence and and I missed that I missed being a leader of men and, and after the round uh, we made arrangements to come on your podcast and and i and I was truly honored by it I didn't know the significance of it until I realized I was somewhere right between Tom Brady and Rory McElroy on your <laughs> podcast, so I was completely blown away by that on the on the topic of golf. do you get to play more golf now that you're not? the CEO of young brands and, and where are your favorite places to play? Uh, and we won't mention one.
0: <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I, I love golf. Uh, and I, yes, I do get to play now. i I retired, I retired, retired in 2016. And, uh, so I work on Ogo lead. I work on my family foundation with my daughter, uh, where we focus on leadership and diabetes and, uh, Early childhood education, veteran support, and feeding the hungry those are the big things that we really spend so we spend a lot of time doing that, but my daughter really she's leading that and doing a fantastic job i'm i'm so so proud of her but i I have plenty of time to golf, so I try to hit balls and practice every day i'm trying to to get better, and what do you do when
1: there's and, snow on the ground like well, there's I outside. do an
0: indoor simulator wherever I can find it you know, but it's part of my exercise regime, I work out every day, I like to exercise. I want to stay in good shape so I can live a long time and walk great golf courses. Uh uh and but I get to play at unbelievable places, uh everywhere from Shinnecock to National to to uh you know, Cypress Point, uh you know, Seminole. You know, I'm I'm very blessed to, to be able to, to play at places like that.
1: You are one day I, I seek to have a list uh that, that compares even halfway to that list of of places I get to play as well.
0: Well, I guarantee you, if you want it, and uh, you will get it because you know every club wants wants people that make the club better, it's just like a team. You know, it's it's you want people on your team that's going to make the team better, right? And you know, I love it when the members that I'm a when I'm a member of a club when somebody comes in, you know, it's always great when you say, you know what, our club just got better when that guy get in,
1: yeah, or that woman got in, yeah, that's special. You mentioned your relationship with your daughter and I was, I had concerns if I was going to be traveling too much affecting the relationship. It's incredible to me, the relationship that you, you were able to keep with her and you and your wife, Wendy still married. How, How, how tough was it to be on the road as much as you were, but still be extremely intentional with them. And then now see the fruits of that with an extremely great relationship with your daughter and your wife.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I always felt like they were number one. You know, I worked really hard, and I cared about my business uh, and and making our teams better. That was always really important to me. Boy, but a push come to shove, they knew that I was going to be there for them. And, you know, as far as my family goes, I was very blessed to, to, to be married to Wendy. You know, we're celebrating our 45th wedding anniversary this year. Congrats. And but she was a great mother. She's a great mother and a great grand grandmother, great Gigi. But you know, her ability to to really, you know, be with my daughter every day and to love on her every day, even when I was out of town, really fortified our relationship. And also we did it together. You know, I would call every day. It wasn't like dad was gone forever, you know. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I always told people at work if your kid has a, 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 a softball game or a field hockey game, go to it. Uh, and then come back and do your work okay, if you need to. And that's what I did. I, I scheduled whatever, anything was important for Ashley. And I think if you talked to Ashley and said, did you, was your dad there when you had something big going on in your life? I think she'd say yes, because I made it a priority. And I also tried, Eric, not to, not to work weekends. Gotcha. That doesn't mean I didn't think about it. You can always be thinking about the business, but I tried to be physically present on weekends. So even though I would travel, if I was gone a week and a half, I tried to get home in time for that weekend, you know, you know, when I was going around the world. So those are just some of the things that, that I did. Uh, but you know what? Uh, having a supportive wife that really kept it all together when I was gone was probably the biggest success factor and why Ashley Ashley developed into the, the the fine young lady she is today, and a mother of three grandkids.
1: That's great, and, and I love that you give Wendy credit. I try to give my wife Leslie credit as much as I can, and I'm trying to be very intentional with her this fall. This, you know, right now um, through broadcasting, I'm gone three or four nights a week, and she's really having to step up, and I truly appreciate that. But I don't think your daughter would work on your podcast on leadership with you if she truly didn't feel like Dad was there for me, because she wouldn't want leaders. Out there yeah. to to excel in the way that you had, because she would see how it had affected relationships at home, and and I was comfortable asking you that question, knowing that she works with you on a podcast about leadership. There 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 is no ill feelings there.
0: No no she's she you know we we have a blast working together, and she's a big thinker. I was so proud to see, recently uh, she she sits on the board of she's the chair of uh, Dare to Care here in Louisville, um, the food bank. And you know we just uh, uh, launched a, a major community food center in in the, in the West End, and the mayor described her as someone who doesn't talk a lot, but is a big thinker and makes big things happen. Wow! And I can't tell you how proud I was to to hear that because it's the absolute truth. She's got all the great skills of my 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 wife and whatever I have, and she's she's put them into the blender. She's 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 pretty special.
1: That's incredible. I heard from a mutual friend, and, and you never told me this, and, and, and I almost think more of you because of it because it would be one of the first things I told pizza, people, but you you beat stage three cancer. Yeah. And, and while battling that, worked out twice a day through that yeah. journey. Talk about that journey, and what did you learn from that?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I, I kind of got shocked a few years ago. I, I realized that I had uh, breast cancer. You know, and I, I found it. I had a stage 3A tumor, uh, just, just, you know, which is the fastest-acting tumor and, that you can have. I got it just in the nick of time. But I had to go through chemo and radiation and, you know, have surgery. And, you know, but I think that uh, I learned that life can change in a second, okay? And I learned that the good thing was I wasn't hit, hit by a bus. Right. Okay. So I had time to tell all the people that I love, that I love them. And people came out of the woodworks to tell me that they actually liked me a little bit, which surprised me in many instances, but, but, you know, I tell people, don't wait till somebody's hit by a bus. Mm. You know, if you, you know, let people know how you feel now. Don't wait because you never know how things can change. Now. I, I never ever thought that I wasn't going to beat this. You know, I, I I I read about Lance Armstrong working out twice a day on chemo days. I worked out twice a day on chemo days. I worked out every day. And you know, I had to go through 3 months of chemo, almost 6 weeks of radiation, you know, I had to go through that, but I worked out every single day cuz it kept my energy level up. But, you know, everybody's going to die. You just don't know when. Right. So make the most of most of every day and I'm I'm glad that I beat it and I'm glad I'm around. But to be honest with you, if I would have passed away, I I couldn't complain about anything that's ever happened in my life. My biggest regret would just be not being able to spend time with the people I love.
1: I would associate a lot of that to what you said earlier, practicing gratitude every morning. That's something I still try and do every single day. I definitely did it while I was playing. I mentioned on your podcast my morning gratitude drive into the stadium where I drive with the music off and just – Thank God for where I'm at in my life and that I get to go to work for the Buffalo Bills. Not I have to go to work. I get to go work for the Bills. I mean, how special is that? And I would credit, you know, your perspective on that is probably to daily gratitude. Would you?
0: I I think that helps, you know, and I love your gratitude ride. But, you know, while everybody else is stumbling to get to the coffee, grumbling because it's the morning, your eyes are already alive. You walk in there. You hit the door running. You're ready to go. It gives you a step up. Right. Gives you, it gives you a competitive edge that, that people don't have. And the people that 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 get in that framework, I guarantee you, man, you're, you're ahead of 99% of the people in the world.
1: Definitely. I'm, I'm – I'm- I was calling it brainwashing for a while. Now I've been instructed to call it brain programming. Yeah. But before my daughter leaves for school every day, I look at her and say, Grace, what are you going to make today? And she say, the best day ever. And I said, well, what do you do? And she said, I spread joy. <laughs> and I'm like, it's simple. But when she gets in the car, now she's got the proper mindset. And and to me, I'm trying to set her up for success because I've seen that work in my life when you just start the day right you also mentioned
0: the state of gratitude, you know, also gives I think the maybe the single biggest trait I see in leaders that I didn't talk about early earlier is humility. Mm. So if you see yourself as someone who's blessed, someone who gets to do what other people don't do, you know, it, it gives you a humility about what you do. I mean, I, I've got a huge ego and I mean, I, I mean, I, w- I want to be the leader and all that kind of good stuff, but man, I've never, ever once taken it all for granted. I've never ever thought, geez, you know, I mean, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm the reason why, you know, why do I get to do what I do? And there's a beggar on the street in India,
1: mm-hmm. and,
0: you know, there's only the big guy upstairs somehow is, has has given me this. Okay. Now I believe that you know you have the free will to use your skills and if you use those skills you know and develop yourself you know you're you're going to achieve if you don't you won't you know i know you had bob russell on a a podcast my favorite story he ever told me and he's a good friend of mine as well is that there was this farmer who who took over this field and it was an unbelievable terrible shape so he calls up his minister friend and says hey uh, you know, come see my farm after he'd worked really hard on it. And it looks beautiful. The face, the, the fences are painted and the minister looks out and he says, gee, you know, Eric, you've done. I mean, the, God sure has done wonders with this place. And Eric said, you should have seen it when God had it by himself. Right. <laughs> and, and I love that story because, you know, we have to use this, the skills that and gifts that we're given.
1: Absolutely. You mentioned your morning devotional and you mentioned being friends with Bob Russell. What role does your faith play in your life?
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I have great confidence that, that there's a God and that, you know, you know I, I, I have my own religions and beliefs, and they just give me confidence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just sort of an anchoring point. It seems like no matter what I've ever done in my life, okay, God's never left me. He's there. Fact. And, and so, you know, that gives me a lot of confidence.
1: That's great. I often feel like in in business, in life, you, you learn the most from mistakes you've made. What's a mistake in business? Can you think of one that, that you truly learn
0: from? Yeah, well, you know, early on, I had to uh, let someone go. And, you know, I remember being in her office and, And I said, I know, I know how you feel, you know. And she said, oh, no, you don't know how I feel. You have no idea (laughs) how I feel. I never, ever said that again. Okay. And, you know, while I was trying to show empathy, I said about the stupidest thing in the world. And so I've never, ever forgotten that. That's just one. But I've made all kinds of mistakes in business. Some of them legendary, you know. I I launched a product when I was at Pepsi called Crystal Pepsi, and this was the, the the greatest idea I ever had in my life. It was actually when we put it into test market, it was a lead story on six on 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 CBS Nightly News. Dan Rather said today, you know, Pepsi Cola launched Crystal Pepsi, a clear cola. Well. You know, this was a great idea, but when I took it to the franchise bottlers, the, the bottlers who, you know, distribute Pepsi-Cola products, I said, David, it's a great idea, but, you know, it doesn't taste enough like Pepsi. And I says, oh, you don't get it. I don't want them to taste exactly like Pepsi because, you know, we're trying to bring in an incremental user that says, yeah, but but it tastes, you know, it doesn't taste enough like Pepsi and you're calling it Crystal Pepsi. It's got to be called, it's got to taste more like Pepsi. I says, no, you don't get it. Well... You know, I, 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 this was the only product in the history of the Pepsi Cola company that was ever introduced at a premium price. And, and the bottlers controlled the pricing. They mm. charged a lot for it when it came out. I said, Why are you doing this? I want to get everybody to try the product, and you're charging so much for it. He said, They said, Well, everybody's going to try it no matter what because it's so different, which it was. They said, The problem is they're not going to come back. And I said, Yeah, well, we'll see. And guess what? trial went through the roof. Everybody tried the product. It was really a big hit on, from a trial perspective, but it didn't last very long. You know why? Didn't taste enough like Pepsi. Right. And if I would have made it taste more like Pepsi, given it some more Pepsi Cola notes, uh flavor notes, I'm convinced it'd still be on the market today. In fact, it was people brought it back a couple of years ago as a limited time only uh uh, sort of a relic product. You did know? they give you the credit for it <laughs> yeah, this time? No, no, I didn't need any credit. But <laughs> it, the fact of the matter was, is that I blew it. I could have had an unbelievably good idea if I would just, and that's what really makes me sad, is that I had this fantastic idea, which did not go as well as it could have because I didn't listen. So I learned that a lot of times people are going to have uh, issues with your ideas and they're going to put up barriers. The first thing you need to ask yourself is, are they right? Right. See, I wasn't doing that. I was a heat-seeking missile. I was going to get that product in on the Super Bowl, no matter what happened. I was going to launch it on the Super Bowl. I didn't want to hear their 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 issues, but you've you've got to hear issues and then convince yourself and other people that that what you're doing is right. And if there's a disagreement, let them know that you disagree, but at least give their issue the the due that it deserves.
1: This was not in my show notes, but you mentioned the Super Bowl. For a company, and I understand it's probably different for most. Is it worth the money for for a Super Bowl ad? And what risk do you take spending that much money?
0: Yeah. Well, I think what a Super Bowl ad is now maybe five million bucks. It's really just gotten unbelievable for a thirty second yeah, ad. For you know, it's really really expensive. Um, I, I think if you're an established brand with high awareness. Um, you know, I don't necessarily, and you need to drive sales and traffic, and that's part of what you need. I don't see it as a big deal. Uh, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't spend that kind of money. But if you're a brand that has low awareness and you want to get on the map, okay, and you don't have a big advertising budget, but you want to make sure people remember you, okay, I think it makes a lot of sense. Like a great example, that would be Ever Ready Batteries or Ever uh, the, the Master Lock. That's what I meant to say, the Master Lock where they'd show that lock being exploded with a gunshot, you know. They did that one ad. That was their advertising budget. Right. And everybody remembered Master Lock, you know. And so I think they got a huge payout because it took their awareness up through the roof and, and sustained until the, for the whole time because it was such a powerful ad, and it works. But, you know, if you're a, a, a trendy brand where you need to be there just to show that you're relevant, that makes sense as well. So it just depends,
1: right? Yeah, that that makes a ton of sense, and I I've never heard that explained yeah, before, so yeah. that was extremely interesting. You're very well traveled. What what are some of your favorite places to travel to, and um, either personally through work or as a family yeah. with Wendy and Ashley?
0: We had a blast going to to China. I you know we started out yum. We had a hundred restaurants. We ended up with eight thousand. But you know when I retired, you know it was a huge it's a huge business, you know, but I love going to China because I loved the, 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 the growth that was occurring. And I love the passion of the people and their desire to learn. You know, I felt like they were in pursuit of the American dream, just like all of us and maybe even more so. Uh, but I love going to China. I love India. India, I loved the just the again, you know, that desire the, the, to, to do more, to, to grow uh and i love the food there i love spicy food and i love you know going to india and that was great but our favorite place to go as a family for vacations and holidays is italy because it's just you know it's spectacular mm-hmm. all the history you'd ever want all the beauty you'd ever want great wine great food uh and you know kind of you can make it as low or high key as you want it to be
1: I'm going to have to take you up on some of those suggestions. I haven't been to any of those places, so.
0: Well, you got to go to China, people. You will never understand China until you go there. You have to go see it because you won't believe your eyes. You won't believe the cities, the airports, the you know the growth that's occurring there. And I know there are a lot of challenges with China today, but let me tell you something. China is going to get, you know. They're going to grow. They're going to continue to be a major factor. And, you know, the United States and China need to work together ultimately, and they will, you know. But yes. uh, it's, it's, it's just phenomenal what you can see in China.
1: That's great stuff. So we do some recurring questions and rapid-fire questions at the end of each show. It's fun to compare answers with others. Uh, you can be as short or as long on these as you want. Okay. And I'll be
0: respectful of your time. What's your favorite book? Walk uh, Walk the Talk. By Har- Harvey Pinnock. it's a great story about this president who's about to uh, give a uh, uh, speech, and he's in the auditorium uh, practicing because he's a new president, new CEO. And this janitor drops his keys on the floor, and the the the, the, the president or the the new guy says to the janitor, he says, "Over oh, here, listening." He says, "What do you think?" And he goes, "I've heard this before." You know, and the difference was, is he, he, he goes through this book as he realized that you can say things, but you got to do things, right? You have to walk the talk and it's a fabulous book. I, I love parables because they're short. I can mm-hmm. read them and say, I've read a book recently, but this is one of my favorites. I absolutely love that book. It was just great.
1: I will definitely add that to my list. What's your favorite restaurant in Louisville?
0: My favorite restaurant
1: outside of in, Yum Brands. In
0: in, in Louisville. Uh, well, I love Italian food. So I go to I would say Volari. It's it's southern Italian. They they have great service there. The food's really good. I like it.
1: That's great. This is free marketing for uh Patterson and Percani. We we're <laughs> we're going there tonight. Uh what's your favorite meal at Taco Bell, KFC and Pizza Hut? Uh,
0: Taco Bell, I love uh uh fresco soft tacos we we had a line of items with uh you know 10 items were under under 10 fat grams and i love you know the the uh soft chicken tacos which is great extra with extra chicken i love that at at pizza hut i love you know pan pizza mm-hmm. the pan pizza there's nothing like a hot pan pizza where that oil fried on the bottom of the crust when that comes out fresh it's just amazing i love pan pizza And uh, um, at KFC, I just don't think you can beat Original Recipe. Mm -hmm. When Original Recipe is done right, you can see why the colonel became famous. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: What was your first car?
0: My first car? Oh, gee. Uh, A 1965 uh, uh, Bonneville. Nice. It was my my uncle's uh, gave it to me.
1: So in 1965,
0: what year did you get it? I had a, uh, you know. I don't remember, I don't remember, I'd have to go back and do the math on that. But I also <laughs> had a Dynamic 88, which cost me about $250, you know, and I painted it, you know, went to Earl Scheib's paint job and got a, for twenty nine ninety nine. got an electric blue paint job and they had white white uh, seats. But I, 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 you know, my family, we didn't have a lot of money. Uh, I remember the best car we ever had was a uh, Le Mans, a green Le Mans. And when I was 16 years old, I backed it out of the garage and, And, uh, you know, scrape the side and I'll never forget that one.
1: (laughs) You're, you're probably going to have a better answer than most of this. Who's the most famous person in your phone?
0: Uh, in my phone? Uh, probably Warren Buffett. Yeah. Warren Buffett. I, you know, I, I didn't know anything about investing when I became a CEO or, or how to deal with the investment community. And so I used some contacts and I got a, uh, 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 end to where i could go meet with warren buffett and you know i met with him for 15 straight years in a row i go to omaha and and have a one-on-one with him and a lot of times or i'd take uh, one or two of my top performers with me and speaking of humility he was he's enormously humble but we'd go to kfc and uh, he, he he's the only guy I've known to ever put salt on, on KFC chicken. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, afterwards, he would always go in the back of the house. I'd introduce him to the restaurant team. And he would take a picture with him where he's handing them his wallet. But he's, he's just a super guy. You know, I would bring somebody from Australia – to his office, which he only had 17 people working there in the, in the corporate holding co- company. I mean, you know, he really does run a decentralized organization. He'd have an Australian flag out the door, uh, you know, waiting for the, the guest, you know, just a su- wonderful human being. I, 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 I absolutely love the guy. One of the guys I admire most that I've ever met.
1: That's incredible. What's your favorite movie?
0: Oh, my favorite movie. Oh, that's a, that's a good one. Um, um, probably Hoosier. I great loved movie. Hoosier. I love that scene where he goes into that that uh, the the gym and he points out that hey look you know the rim's 10 feet high the free throws 15 yep. feet you know. I love that because I love it's a great coaching story of getting people to believe and getting people to believe in themselves when that kid makes a free throw at the end, you know. He said, you're going to make it. You know, it's like after he makes a free throw, we're going to do this. You know, you you become what you think you are. He made that kid believe he's going to make that free throw. And he did. You know, awesome. I love that movie.
1: That is a great movie. David, where can people find you on social media?
0: Uh, You can go to uh, David Novak Ogo on uh, uh, Twitter. Um, And, you know, I also have an Instagram account under the same – uh, under David Novak and Facebook I'm you know I really focused primarily on on Twitter I I try to do daily uh tweets on on leadership and uh you know I'm you know I really it, it's just kind of, of a fun way to stay in tune with what's going on and, and share with people what you know and what you see
1: yeah. Give David a follow on Twitter. I, I promise you will not regret it. I, I retweet him often. So you may have already followed him if you follow me on there. Uh, but I recommend that greatly. David, I can't thank you enough for your time today. The nuggets mm-hmm. that you shared with people will make a huge influence on their lives. Uh, and you've truly inspired me. And I can't thank you enough for yeah. our friendship.
0: Well, you know, Eric, one of the great things that happened to me was when I did play golf with you and I asked you what inspired you, which was being, you were going to miss most. And you said leadership and, and the podcast you know i did with you is one of my favorites you've got all kinds of nuggets and and at the time you didn't know what was next for you but it's great to see you broadcasting for the bills and doing the acc uh, television and doing your podcast you're a guy who's going to figure out what you want to do and you constantly you know you're you're a reinventer. you know we all have to reinvent ourselves and 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 you definitely have done it. So I admire you very much, and thank you for being on the show.
1: Well, I appreciate that, and your podcast inspired me to start my own. I, I truly enjoyed our time together, and, and not to get too far off topic, but these types of conversations are lost in this world nowadays, and when I got to spend a couple hours with you uh, at your house in Louisville, Kentucky, and learned so much, I thought, man, how valuable could that be for my life if I could contact people and replicate that over and over and over in the direction that could give me in my life so I I appreciate that as well
0: well you're an avid learner and that's the biggest trait I've I see in the best leaders you know as they constantly learn and constantly get better absolutely thank you very much David
1: (laughs) thank you for listening to what's next with Eric Wood I hope you enjoyed the show if you did Please rate it five stars and subscribe. That goes a long way for us with this podcast. Tune in in a couple weeks for another new episode.